First Thessalonians chapter number 4, and let's stand together. We'll read our first few verses. We'll be in other places here tonight as we continue our journey on the matter of the spiritual warfare. We went through all the armor, and here we are. I think it's about the 18th message, and we're going into the specific strongholds that exist within our lives and how to apply the armor and the power of God. And we looked at the, the first stronghold dealing with uh, the matter of strongholds within marriage and then strongholds regarding substance, uh, the substance abuse, chemical, drugs, anything that, that we use to, um, to cope with uh, life without depending upon God. And tonight we're looking at strongholds in the area of sexuality, sexual strongholds that exist. And while tonight the message is not, I wouldn't say it quite has the bite to it that, that it probably deserves because of the spectrum that we're looking at, I still feel like there's a flyover that should be able to help all of us, make us aware and make us more prepared for the battle that's at hand. And, um, and for that reason, I, I just wanted the, the children to be dismissed and allow us um, and our young people that are in here to be helped as much as we can be to fight the good fight of faith. God doesn't want us to be shipwrecked. We don't have to be. We can be successes for Him. First Thessalonians chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 1. Paul writes, Furthermore, then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Thank you. Please be seated. Several years back, in fact, 1993, a very popular movie came out that was entitled Indecent Proposal, which starred Robert Redford and Demi Moore. The character played by Robert Redford offered to pay the character that was played by Demi Moore $1 million just to sleep with him for one night. The money would settle her husband's staggering gambling debt, as well as pay off her mortgage. The movie's thing became a hot topic of discussion on television shows, talk television shows, for quite some time surrounding the movie coming out. One talk show host, Oprah Winfrey, conducted a survey among her television audience and asked them the question. If you were offered a million dollars to sleep with a man, would you do it? 55% of her audience said yes. Very few people in her audience viewed sex for money as an indecent proposal. When asked about their views on sex and morality, very few people in our society today would view immorality as something that's considered indecent. And as a result, sexual immorality and adultery are spreading like wildfire. 
their impact and it's influencing every stratum of society. We've talked about strongholds. A stronghold is a pattern of unrighteousness that holds you hostage outside of the will of God. A stronghold would be a pattern of unrighteousness that holds you hostage outside of the will of God. And we're looking at the stronghold that is in the arena of one's passion and lust in the area of sexual strongholds. Now the Puritans, they may have lived as though there was no such thing as sex, but many Americans today live as though there is nothing but sex. We're told that sex is what sells. We've all been affected in some form or another by an increased sexual awareness in our culture. Things that would have shocked moviegoers 15 or 20 years ago regularly appear on our televisions. Every decent, innocent, so-called TV station, whether it be Disney or a Hallmark Channel, the commercials themselves are constantly pushing the envelope of sexuality. Magazines routinely display images of scantily clad models or celebrities posed in sexually alluring positions. And it goes from magazines to now the internet, now to your regular news feed. And the internet has delivered every conceivable form of pornography, not only to our home computers, if you even have those anymore, but to our cell phones. Just how widespread is immorality today? And the fact is, several years ago when I touched on this passage and we're going through First Thessalonians, I don't know, four or five years ago, I find that I have to update these statistics all the time because they're constantly changing and they're not getting better, they're getting worse. But studies reveal that 40 to 50% of all married men have had extramarital affairs. One survey pointed out that nearly 70% of all married men under 40 expect to have an extramarital relationship. Can you imagine 70% of men expect to be unfaithful to their wives? In, in essence, they are an affair waiting to happen. See, most people who cheat have been married, it says, for 20 to 30 years before some of them even cheat. And they're between the age of 50 and 60. And men are not the only ones having extramarital affairs. Women are quickly catching up and in some ways surpassing. In 1953, 26% of all women claimed to have been unfaithful to their husbands. Today, studies reveal over 40% of married women report having cheated on their husbands. Young people are not spared in any of this. Due to a lack of biblical moral standards in our society and a poor sexual example in our home, it's said that one-fifth of the world's children will lose their virginity by the age of 15. And 70, that's one out of five, and 70% by the age of 19. And I think that that statistic is several years old. 
Since 1974, teen pregnancy among 15 to 19 year olds has gone up 32%. One recent study last year that I was looking at said, but that number's coming down. And the footnote said, due to abortion. Due to immorality, AIDS has been on the rise. And part of the commercials you'll see is the combating of AIDS and how you can live in your wicked lifestyle and not... Uh, succumb to the terrible disease of AIDS. God has a better plan. We'll talk about that. You know, the truth is no man, no woman who is ever pure and, and functioned in, in purity and had a marriage of, of purity and commitment to one another, no man or woman has ever contracted AIDS. God's plan works just fine. According to a U.S. News and World Report, in 1973, over $10 million then was spent on pornography. And now there is more money that goes into pornography than the NBA, NFL, and MLB all together. All the professional sports do not generate nearly as much money as what is coming out of the pornography world. But here's what's even more tragic. 68% of church-going men view pornography on a regular basis. 57% of pastors have or currently struggle with pornography. 69% of pastors say pornography has adversely impacted their church. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch pornography, while 87% of Christian women watch pornography. That's a high number. And someone says, well, that, that's, that's some other kind of church. I want to tell you, in the last five, six years, the journey here, I'd say, no, that's exactly the, the percentage and the statistic that would be fitting both among the men and the women. 56% of divorce cases cite pornography as being a contributing factor. In 1999, this matter of pornography revenue it grew to over $10 million, more money than all of Hollywood box office receipts and revenue generated by rock and country music combined could not equal what was bringing in, uh, being brought in from pornography. You say, well, I know it's bad, but that's what's happening in secular society. It's not that bad in the church. But again, statistics say that that's not true. Christianity Today surveyed thousands of its subscribers and learned that 45% of the respondents admitted to having committed adultery or acting inappropriately regarding sexual matters. Many years ago, Billy Graham called immorality as an epidemic in our churches. He cited a poll claiming that 40% of young people in Bible-believing churches were sexually active. The poll also revealed that 60% of single adults, including those that attend church regularly and participate in Bible studies, are not only sexually active, but half reported having sex with multiple partners. By the way, let me just pause there a moment. Somebody asked me, you've been mentioning Bible studies recently. Are you against Bible studies? Yes, I'm against Bible studies because God doesn't emphasize Bible studies. He emphasizes Bible doers. 
And you can sit around in your kumbaya circle and you can read every Bible passage and you can talk about what everybody else cites about the passage. But as long as you're violating God's commands somewhere, you're not studying the Bible the way it was intended to study. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Thank you for that, Pastor. That was a great help to me. Just want to make sure there's no ambiguity there. The National Coalition for the Protection of Children and Families, they surveyed students from five Christian colleges. And they discovered that 68% of Bible college male students said they intentionally look at pornography on a regular basis. Ten percent of those surveyed said they frequently use pornography, and five percent says that they feel they have a problem with pornography. No wonder the world is a mess. It's because the church is a mess and is not making much impact on the world. Now, what makes a sexual stronghold so difficult? What is it about this sexual stronghold that's more difficult to overcome than any other strongholds that we may point out? And the reason is, is that the sexual stronghold is more difficult to overcome is that a sexual stronghold doesn't always show up in a physical world. For instance, people can have a sexual stronghold and they never actually engage in sex. Instead, their sexual stronghold may manifest itself through pornography, fantasizing, or achieving personal gratification through an illegitimate means contrary to God's plan for sex. And if people, however, think about alcohol, it's not going to get them drunk. Or you think about cocaine, it's not going to make you high. But thinking about sex is often its own fulfillment and downfall. See, people who would never do anything wrong sexually often find themselves, uh, find as much for themselves satisfaction in the thought as what they might in the action. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 28, that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her, he hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. See, Jesus said to them, which I didn't quote the beginning of it, but I say unto you, he's talking about in, in contrast to what they had heard of old time. They've heard that it was said in time of old, thou shalt not commit adultery. That's commandment number seven. But Jesus goes on to say, what you think about determines whether or not you're guilty of sexual perversion or immorality. In other words, when God views a sexual stronghold, He's not looking at just the physical. Scripture talks about sexual strongholds in the book of Romans. Turn over to Romans and let us look at this. Because I believe Romans 1, you would think was written in these past few years, but they were written 2,000 years ago so that they can be a help to us in 2022 and if we live till 2023. But Romans, Paul talks about these sexual strongholds. Notice in verse 24. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. 
who these people who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lusts one to another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of the error which was me. So Paul is telling us in this passage that the, the, uh, the digression of man in the area of sexuality is directly tied to idolatry. And you'll find this in Romans, you'll find this in Ephesians, you'll find this in Colossians. And when Paul is bringing in this matter of a, a sexual sin, he, he often equates that to idolatry, ties it together. So the stronghold of illegitimate sex on any level is not first and foremost a problem with sex itself. After all, God designed each of us with a natural and healthy desire for sex within the confines of the covenant of marriage, which gives us one of the greatest pleasures that we can experience on earth. However, sexual activity outside of the confines of the covenant of marriage, whether that be fantasizing, pornography, or the act itself, it produces within the person the due penalty of the action. And that's what he, he mentions there in verse 27, receiving in themselves that due penalty, that recompense of their error. See, people often think that when God gets ready to hand down his wrath, he's sitting up in heaven with these uh, lightning bolts that he's going to use to zap people for some kind of overstepping of boundaries. But Romans here, Paul reveals that the wrath of God can come infused within the sin itself. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, I believe it is, every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Because there is infused within the sin, God's wrath built into that. Commit the sin, you get the wrath that comes with it. In the verses leading up to Paul's discussion on sex, look at verse number 18, what he writes. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So essentially, God's wrath came when he gave these people over to the lust of their own hearts, their own impurity. Notice in verse 19, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them. In other words, he's saying that a person knows God in their conscience. They, a person, if they've never heard the gospel, they know by their own conscience there is a God. How can you say that? Because God said that. He made them that way. And they can also step out and look at creation and know that there's a God. But God is saying that Paul is telling us that God gives them up because he hands them over to their own lust and their own hearts due to impurity. He did so because at the core of sexual strongholds, this is the finishing of the statement I was trying to make earlier. At the core of sexual strongholds is the sin of idolatry. 
And God will not tolerate idolatry. It's not the sexual sin in and of itself. It's the idolatry. It is, well, notice what it says in, oh, let's see, help if I put down my reference. Um, Verse number 23, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. Uh, Notice in verse number um, 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even the women did change the natural use unto that which is against nature. And so he's telling us that the changing or exchanging the truth of God into a lie It's placing something or someone above God's rightful position in your life. There's where the problem begins. It is saying that you are your own God. You know better in this area. See, the Bible tells us, again, everything that God created was good. God created marriage. God created man. God created woman. God created marriage. God created sex. So the issue is not whether sex is good or bad. Sex is good. The real issue is, is sex being enjoyed according to God's intentions and within His boundaries, which keeps it right, or is it being misused outside of God's purposes, which makes it wrong? That's the real issue. You get that? That's the issue. The purpose of sex, as God designed it, it was to inaugurate the covenant of marriage between a man and a woman, and it was to renew that covenant. It's it's all about God. See, however, Satan does what Satan does. He twists what God intended as good to be something that he will tell you this is good for you and you find, well, Satan is right. Oh, he may seem right at the moment, but no good thing will the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. We say all the time God is good, all the time and all the time God is good, except when we don't believe it. See, Satan twists sex to fit His purposes, and in so doing, he seeks to diminish its power, the power that sex has, that God has created, the bedroom scene, in the inaugurating of the marital union and the renewing of the covenant and purpose of marriage. Genesis chapter 6, we won't turn there. But in verses 5 and 6, you find that demonically possessed men had sexual relations with the women on the earth. And it produced a group of people called the Nephilim, which were illegitimate sexual relations that that were had, which led to total depravity. See, Satan's purpose in twisting our sexuality is really to produce an anti-God covenant 
where people's thoughts are bent toward selfishness and evil. The evil way of thinking then produces an evil way of living that can be transferred generationally to our children, destroying not only our homes, but our communities. You can't have a strong community if you don't have strong homes. Again, there's nothing wrong with having sexual desires. If you don't have sexual desires, as I'm trying to think through some of this, if you don't have sexual desires, I think that may indicate something's wrong with you. You know, we talk about fasting. Fasting, some people fast because of the, the weight loss or the health benefits. God talks about fasting ultimately to get us back recalibrated in tune with Him. But if somebody says, I never get hungry. I haven't eaten in 30 days and I'm just not hungry. Well, fasting wouldn't work for you. <laughs> fasting supposes, presupposes that you've got some hunger. You've got some, some desires that are natural and you want to master those desires so that you can seek God. But for someone to say, I, 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 I never have gotten hungry. I, I've, gone, I've gone three months without even taking a bite of food. What that means is you're a weirdo. <laughs> There's something's wrong with you. Um, you, you don't exist. But um, when it comes to the sexual desires, God designed us to enjoy sexual passion. Our prayer, I don't think, is God remove the passion from my life. Rather, it should be, God, would you help me, enable me to understand and to manage the legitimate passion that you placed in me and to satisfy that within the context that you have provided me. So we looked at, number one, the stronghold. In fact, all of our strongholds are following the same pattern. The strongholds. Number two, I want us to see God's viewpoint on this. What's going wrong? Why is it then we're struggling? If this is natural, why do I feel so unnatural, some may say? Why am I struggling in this area? Well, somewhere, somehow, we've forgotten that God has a moral standard to live by. That could be part of it. Again, we looked at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, and it's clear from this passage that God wants us to maintain moral purity. And it's vital that we move on to maturity in this area of morality and purity. And so the condemnation of sexual immorality is very clear from God's perspective. What is sexual immorality when we mention that? Well, it is all sexual contact of any kind outside of marriage. It is sexual contact of any kind outside of marriage. It's important to understand that God, again, is not against sex. He created it, Genesis 2.24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. They shall become one flesh. Then there's the, the union, the sexual relationship. Again, Hebrews 13.4, the writer said, Marriage is honorable in all. The bed is undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. God's not against sex. He's against the misuse of it. God stands against all sexual contact that is outside the realm of marriage. 
He condemns premarital sex. We live in a day when there is tremendous pressure to have premarital sex. Movies constantly push the idea that there's no fun without sin and there's no kiss unless it is a stolen one. Every year the average TV viewer views 14,000 references to sex and rarely, if ever, is it in the context of marriage. It is always portrayed as something that occurs outside of marriage if it's going to be exciting and fun. Songs on the radio, MTV, constantly telling us how great premarital sex is. Magazines are constantly educating the public on the joys of premarital sex. Here's, here's some titles that have just took a, a snapshot of in a waiting in a doctor's um, waiting room. Ten reasons why you should not wait. See, today's philosophy, here's the title of another article, Love is What Counts, Who Needs a Marriage Certificate? Yet, despite the tremendous pressure and the constant bombardment of immorality, God still has an opinion. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, let's turn over to there. If you're in Romans, go, go to the right, one more book, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll notice a few verses here that... God has something to say about it. In verse number 13. Meats for the belly, the belly for meats. But God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord. And the Lord... For the body. Notice verse 15. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. Verse 18. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. See, people often ask this question. I've had many a college age Bible college student even ask these kinds of questions. How far can I go and not get in trouble? I want to tell you, that's a question that shows a lack of spiritual maturity. Or they ask, what about holding hands? What about kissing? What about exploring the body? How far can I go and not get in trouble? My parents say, we can so what about holding hands? What about kissing? What about exploring the body? So with that, let's imagine for a moment. Let's imagine that Jesus dated and got married. But before Jesus got married, just imagine, what would Jesus have done on his date? How far would he have gone? Would he have held hands, kiss, French kiss, go to some darkened street on the outskirts of Jerusalem, explore the body of his would-be wife? Absolutely not. 
It was Jesus who said, What comes out of a man is what defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, produce evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications. And these evil things come from within and defile a man. Paul said it this way in Galatians 5.19, referring to the works of the flesh. We are to avoid, he said, adultery, fornication, and uncleanness. The word uncleanness, and we looked at this a few weeks ago in our Sunday morning series going through Galatians, but the word uncleanness, it refers to anything that leads up to premarital sex, such as holding hands and kissing and exploring the body. You say, you think it would be a sin for people who are not married to hold hands because I don't think it's a big deal to hold hands, preacher. I don't think there's anything wrong with holding hands. And sit in your own chair and hold your own hand then. Guess what? No one has ever gotten pregnant who never had sex. And no one ever had sex without touching. I know it shocks you. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, notice what it says in verse 1. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. I wonder what that means in the Greek. I looked it up. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. You say, I think you're making a big deal about nothing. That's why you're not preaching. That's why you're not dealing with the messes. Many are under the impression that as long as we do not have sexual intercourse, I'm safe. Let me tell you what Proverbs 6.27 says. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Of course not. That's why God commands absolute Purity, not just moral purity, but heart purity. See, someone who is flirting in their heart, it is a precursor to flirting with their body. What does flirting mean? It means, hey, I'm available, how about you? I want to say your body shouldn't be for sale. Quit advertising. You say, I'm not married. If you're saved, you belong to God. Did you miss that verse? The Bible says in verse 13, meats for the belly and the belly for meats. But when it comes to that matter of passion for another person, that ultimately my body belongs not to the other person. It belongs to God. My body belongs to God. If you're a child of God, God for your body, your body for God. God condemns premarital sex. God condemns, another point of view, extramarital sex. A little boy just learned the Ten Commandments in Sunday school and he asked his father, Daddy, what does it mean when the Bible says, Thou shalt not, and he's looking at commandment number seven, but he says, what does it mean when it says, You shall not commit agriculture? And the father thought, well, how am I going to answer this? And he says, what it means, son, is you're not to plow another man's field. And that's a good definition of adultery. One thing is certain in the Bible, and that is God condemns extramarital relationships. Commandment number seven, thou shalt not commit adultery. 
Did you know that most people who end up in an extramarital affair say the reason they had an affair was that they were dissatisfied not with their spouse, but they were dissatisfied with sex with their spouse. There are two primary reasons people get dissatisfied and commit adultery. One is because they begin comparing their spouse to someone else. Well, he is so nice. I wish my husband was like him. She is so pretty. Why can't my wife dress like her? The second reason that people get involved with pornography because of the matter of becoming dissatisfied, they commit adultery, is because they get involved with pornography. They compare their spouse. They get involved in pornography. And pornography is nothing more than that mental adultery. It is giving you a fantasy where you are the one benefiting without having to contribute because you've been duped and deceived into thinking that sex is all about what I get out of this. You forget that it's all about the inauguration of a covenant. And the covenant is not just with you and your spouse, but it's with you, your spouse, and God. And it's the renewing of that covenant. And so therefore, it is not about this matter of how can I just get the enjoyment. No, it's how can I further the cause of this covenant which God has provided. See, pornography is one of the greatest curses And it depersonalizes sex, it devalues people, it dissatisfies men, it desensitizes our children, it destroys our home. That's why God commands, again, absolute purity. And when we violate God's standard of purity, we think the rules do not apply to me, and we begin to suffer the consequences of our own actions. And God's will regarding sexual strongholds is unmistakably clear. Remember back in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul's letter is written to the church of Thessalonica. So let's go back over to 1 Thessalonians 4. These are all separate messages and I'm just trying to chop these. And um, each one of these gets deeper into the, the seriousness of this. We don't have time to. I'm giving us this flyover hoping that we can understand the gravity of the stronghold so we can get to the answer here in closing. 1 Thessalonians 4, notice verses 3 through through 5. For this is the will of God. Wonder what God's will is for my life? It's purity. That's what he says, verse 3. Even your sanctification that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles, those who do not know Christ, and, um, and he elaborates, which know not God. And so he says in this passage, Paul directly ties sexual morality, moral purity with knowing God. With knowing God. Experiencing God. See, Paul knows that believers need to be sanctified in a lot of areas. So he starts here at one of the strongholds because the thing about uh, uh, sexual strongholds is it's not just, uh, it's not an outward thing, it's an inward thing. And he says that, that if Jesus uh, um, is, is who he says he is, he can help us be a winner in this area. And if we can win in this area, we can win in any other area. 
Indeed, if Jesus helps us to walk away from pornography or to stop sleeping around or to stop letting our brains go back to the sewage of this world, then he can be the master in every area of our lives. Notice in chapter 4, verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 5, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. When we believers succumb to sexual strongholds, we're worshiping the wrong thing. We're proving that we're like the unsaved who don't even know God. Sexual immorality is a fruit of an idolatrous root. It's a worship of pleasure over God, something that should not be true of believers who possess the Spirit of God. That's why people who have been numbed by sexual strongholds, the appetite for the Bible is not there on a regular basis. That's why church is is laborious to them. It's dry, it's static. They don't get anything about it. That's why they don't like to have great accountability because there's there's a need for some transparency when there's accountability. They like to keep their distance and and they just don't want to be found out. Just like David, the man after God's own heart, he, he, he dealt with a lot of wrong things in his life, but he didn't deal with the inward man and he had to hide. And for an entire year, the man after God's own heart, the man who wrote the Psalms of great revival blessing, was hiding from God because of sexual strongholds that had overtaken him. And so we find, even in verse 6, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we have also have forewarned you and testified. One of the most attractive lies about sexual immorality is that we can get away with the thrill And not experience the negative consequences. But he's telling us here, the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses. He sees what we're doing even if no one else does. Verse number 7, for God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Though we do not stay pure to earn God's love, we ought to stay pure because God loves us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, we know this one, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. This passage takes it even a step further than simply abstaining from sexual immorality. Because here God tells us that since we've been purchased through the death of Jesus, we're to use our bodies that bring glory to Jesus. And there are consequences of sexual immorality. And this is a whole nother message and I'm not going to be able to get into, but we've got to understand verse number three of, of 1 Thessalonians 4, look at it again. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication. This is a negative command. Abstain from. But do you know that in every negative command there are two positive principles? And here's a negative command, abstain from. The positive principle is that God wants to provide you with a healthy and a happy marriage and a loving and a lasting relationship. God also wants to protect you from a broken home, fatherless children, teenage pregnancy, mental and emotional scars, sexually transmitted diseases. The negative command is there to provide for you a fence to protect you. See, free sex has never been free. 
There's always been a physical price tag for any stepping over of God's bounds. Now, there are four basic consequences. Again, this is a whole message. I'm just telling you these four things. Immorality, impurity, it'll affect you physically, relationally, emotionally, and spiritually. See, there are some who have not crossed over and they've not gone to bed with somebody else, but they listen to the music and they sing about it and they think about it and they're emotionally, spiritually, relationally dead. They like to stay at a distance. And, and our cell phones today with TikTok and the YouTube and all these different venues, people are so intimately involved in that, so outgoing on there. But you just simply talk to them, how was your day? What did you do today? What's going on? What are your dreams, ambitions? What are your plans? What, what are your prayer requests? What are your burdens? And it's just like, well, it's, it's like when I was asking, do you know we have a missions revival coming up? And some of you are sitting there looking, who's he talking to? Is he? Why? Because the impurity, it zaps people. It drains them. There's no life that's there. So what's the solution? God does have a solution. You say, well, it's easier said than done, right? To be victorious over sexual strongholds, it's going to take more than taking a cold shower, turning off the television or internet, or keeping yourself away from any tempting situation, person, or location. Though all those things can be helpful, it's going to take more than that. See, this is... Because the key to victory over this stronghold is found in how you view yourself. Paul tells us that the first step to overcoming a sexual stronghold, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 6. Actually, we didn't turn there, I don't think. Yeah, we did at one point. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 6. And this is where we're winding down. The plane's landing. First Corinthians 6 and verse number 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Notice in verse number 11. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Paul tells us the first step to overcoming a sexual stronghold is recognizing your identity in Christ. Keep in mind what Paul says here in verse number 11. Such were some of you. That's what you were. If you're saved, he's writing to this membership of the church of Corinth, and the Corinthians, they were mixed up in all kinds of messes. This church had every manner of scandal and sexual activity going on right within it. They were sleeping around on Saturday, and they're singing in choir on Sunday. And Paul tells them, however, if you're saved, 
That's your past. He's saying to the homosexual offender, if you're a believer in Christ and you're saved, you are no longer a homosexual as a believer in Jesus Christ. You're no longer an adulterer as a believer in Jesus Christ. You're no longer a fornicator. Rather, you are a saint. You're just exhibiting homosexual behavior. You're just exhibiting as a saint one who is uh, um, who views pornography as a saint. You're committing fornication. That's not who you are. If you're saved, your identity is in Christ. So the first step in the process of overcoming sexual strongholds as a believer in Jesus Christ is to recognize who you are. All these different things, I'm struggling in this. This is who I am. This is what I am. But when you come to Christ, the blood of Jesus, it forgives, it cleanses. Christ moves within. He places you within his body. And that becomes past. That's what you were. That's who you were. That's not who you are if you're saved. He says, you're a saint. You're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified. You have a new identity. And when you keep that truth at the forefront of your mind, eventually the craving for whatever behavior you are doing is going to have less and less control over you because it does not line up with who you are in Christ. You'll be functioning first and foremost out of your identity in Christ. Your identity. Along with recognizing and living in your position in Christ, the second thing that Paul says he wants us to remember is our perspective. Notice in verse 12 and 13. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Meats for the belly and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. First of all, you've got to remember your position, your identity in Christ, but also remember your perspective. Paul wants us to remember that it's while parts of our physical bodies are made for physical things, the stomach and food, they're made for each other. But God did not design the body entirely for the physical. Our bodies were made for him, not for immorality, not for impurity. When we view our bodies through God's perspective, that he made our bodies for him, and he is also there for us, then whatever we do sexually needs to reflect God's will and God's design. Why? Because you're not your own. I've had many a time a person say, what right does God have with my body? Well, I can think of two. He made you and he saved you. What more do you need? Because of the strong influences and desires of the body, though the power to carry this off, it comes only in the presence of the Holy Spirit through an abiding fellowship with Jesus Christ. Notice verse 14. And God hath both raised up the Lord and will also raise up all us by his own power. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. See, Paul here again, he's... he's He's trying to get us to see if God has enough power to raise Jesus from the dead, 
He has enough power to give you strength to resist and to flee from any sexual temptation and impurity. The solution is found by turning to the one who saved you. Turn to him. Replace your thoughts on who you are in Christ with his thoughts and trust him to deliver you. When you live and operate under the truth, in verse number 17, look at it. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. When you live and operate under that truth, then the craving within you for an illegitimate expression of your sexuality will diminish. You'll find his strength to redirect your passions and desires toward the manifestation of a pure pleasure and pure satisfaction. You've got to know your position. You've got to have God's perspective. And you've got to recognize it's not in your power. It's in his. That's why we were having a marriage refresher. I wish I could make people love God and get close to God. I can. People that seem to struggle the most are the ones who won't help the least. We don't want our young people to have to investigate whether or not this stuff is true. God's right. Let God be true and every man a liar. Your home may not reflect the things that were presented here. I want to tell you, if it's because mom and dad, it, it inconveniences their comforts, what you do in moderation, your children will do it in excess. You wouldn't think, mom and dad, maybe to not come to church and your young people, because there's been a deadness in mom and dad's routine, young people sometimes wonder, why church at all? We need to get back to God. We, we, we need to get serious. And, and close, let me give you just three things here. We need to repent of sin. We need to come to God, 1 John 1, 9, agree with God. We need to get sick and tired of what Jesus Christ died on the cross for. We need to repent, change our mind. I think it would be a good idea for moms and dads to take the lead and repent. A man came one time to, I believe it was R.A. Torrey in a meeting and said, I just can't think of anything to repent of. And R.A. Torrey said, at the invitation, you just guess. R.A. Torrey saw him down at the altar. And after the meeting was over, R.A. Torrey said, I saw you at the altar. Were you able to think of anything? The man said, well, I took you your advice and I just guessed. And I guessed it right every time. I mean, some of you just need to get down here and, and you, you just need to confess. I mean, I, there are times that I'm just looking, God, I, I, I'm not meriting anything, but I want to get serious about this. I mean, sometimes when we're not serious, I mean, I, I, sometimes I just get in there and I, I, I'll just start confessing Brother Autry's sins and, and, uh, and, I, and I'll confess Dr. Childs' sins. You know, I'm just trying to, I realize it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Isn't it interesting how you can find the, uh, the, the splinter in other people's eyes, but you miss the telephone beam in your own eye? Yeah. 
We need to repent. Let me ask you, young person, when was the last time you've been to the altar just getting right with God? I'll tell you one thing I think we need, it'd be a good idea, is if we go back to a teen section. I think it'd be a good idea if we put, the little bees would accommodate, I know, but if we put the teens right here, I think it'd be good. Help them get to the altar. They quit talking as much as they would with each other. Even sitting with their own parents, they do a lot of talking and daydreaming and messing around. I know when you're taking notes and passing notes. Passing notes ain't going to help you be a doer of the word. I think it'd be good for us to have a team. You're going to dictate where we sit. No, you can sit out in your car for all I care. But it's time we start repenting of our sin and our stinking attitudes that have put many a person out of sorts with God and scarred their brain and their bodies. But I think it'd help. We have a teen section. Somebody says, ain't nobody going to tell me where my kids sit. Then, Dad, you sit there with them and you stop pooching out your lip and you kick it in gear. Yeah, and you lead them. We'll, we'll help you. We'll direct you to the altar right here. We need to repent. Repent. Not only do we need to repent, but then we've got to learn how to renew our minds. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2 that, that this matter, we need to saturate our brains with the Bible. Do you know that a person that has saturated their minds with the Bible, renew their minds, and they get it into their hearts. Do you know what the Bible that tells us in, what is it, uh, Psalm chapter 31, um, the, the, um, the law of his God is in his heart, none of his steps shall slide. Can't remember the address, but, but what that verse is saying is you put God's word in your heart. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. What it says is you put God's word in your heart. You're not going to backslide. You can't backslide. It didn't say you're, you're not going to sin. It just means you're going to sin, but you're going to get back up because when you're renewing your mind, you're going to be quick to repent. You won't backslide. You know how people get away from God? Because they went through discipleship. Discipleship didn't go through them. They went through Christian school, but Christ didn't go through them. They took their Bible for a test, but the Bible didn't get in them. But when you get the law of his God in your heart, none of your steps shall slide. Never. You can't backslide when you're in God's Word and God's Word is in you. That's why we have a Christian school over here. Not only do we need to repent and renew our minds, we need to rely on Christ. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. There's strongholds. I haven't found a stronghold yet where Christ looks at it and says, I died, was buried, and resurrected. I have all authority in heaven and earth. You rely on me, I can topple that one too. Let's stand together, please.